Luke will be in Luke chapter 2 this morning. We're going to be looking at the day of our dear Savior's birth. Let's pray. Father, it's been so good to be praying all this morning together through Melody. Adoring your son, adoring you in the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit. And for the world, but particularly us Christians, don't let the familiarity of this most wonderful story fall upon dead ears. But by your spirit and each and every soul in here, let our hearts rejoice in this good news that can produce great joy to the glory of your holy name. Amen. So, last week, in here, this is kind of like part two, we looked at that historical scene of the angel Gabriel appearing to the virgin girl Mary in order to tell her, quote, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And now, Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore... The child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And so last week what we did from there is we went back to the beginning, to the beginning of Genesis, and we worked our way through the Old Testament and saw that Gabriel's announcement to Mary that day did not happen in a vacuum, but that there was a story that goes back to the beginning of creation that set the context for that stunning encounter. The Old Testament scriptures, which... When the angel Gabriel showed up, they had been sitting there, all of them, for over 400 years. They were filled, we saw, with prophecies, with precise predictions about the incarnation. Another way to say that is about God becoming a human being. But because of time last week, we were limited to look at only 31 of those texts. But what we saw was that from the beginning, the human race fell into a state of sinfulness with God's holy justice impending. That each and every person and each and every one of us in here was born with a sin nature. 
as the New Testament puts it, we were all by our very nature because of our father Adam. We were by nature children of God's wrath. But we also saw that right there at the beginning of Genesis, when God put Adam and Eve out of the garden, He promised that one is going to come who is born of a woman to crush Satan's head. Then we saw down the road, he called Abraham and he made a covenant with him, promising that not only his descendants, which eventually is Israel and the Jews, but through Abraham and his descendants, all the peoples of planet Earth, will be blessed. All the nations, all the Gentiles. And then we saw how God could possibly do such a thing to sinful people who stood under His wrath when He gave a substitutionary sacrifice to Abraham on Mount Moriah. And Abraham then called the name of that hill the Lord, or Yahweh will provide. And then God revealed that the one to come, he's going to come through the human lineage of Abraham and Abraham's son Isaac and Isaac's son Jacob. And of Jacob's 12 sons, he will come through the one named Judah. And 600 years later, we saw that one who was in the lineage of Judah came, and his name is David, to whom God made a covenant, promising him, quote, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom he shall build a house from my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And then we went through the Psalms and the prophets, and we saw throughout them these foretellings, these striking details of that promised descendant or son of David with stunning stuff, just like just a couple. Like this, Isaiah 7. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which we know means God with us. And in Isaiah 7, 700 years before Christmas, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of that baby's government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forever. 
And we saw that Micah the prophet was very specific. But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. And that brings us this morning to Luke chapter 2. The day and the night of our dear Savior's birth. So if you're there, I'll begin reading in Luke 2, verse 4. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house in the lineage of David, in order to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. See it in your mind's eye. And as we look at it, we can hear God as He puts Adam and Eve out of the garden. He speaks to the serpent. The seed of the woman shall crush your head. And there He is. A newborn baby lying in a makeshift bassinet. Then, look, Luke goes on, and he tells us, beginning with verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. So here's these shepherds. They're on the night watch to protect from robbers and from wild animals. They're about somewhere between one to two miles outside the town of Bethlehem. And the story, though, does not go like this. In that region, there were some scribes and Pharisees paying attention to their religious rituals. Or there was a prince of Israel named Judah Ben-Hur. No, but God chose to reveal this birth to a number of poor, lowly shepherds, which is purposeful. God is unimpressed with anybody's station in life. He is unimpressed with anyone's accomplishments. In fact, in His eternal wisdom, He usually purposes to magnify His grace by choosing people like lowly 
shepherds. You remember how the Apostle Paul reflected upon this a couple decades later, writing to the Christians in the city of Corinth in Greece? He said, look, consider, Christian, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose, here's one, what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. So, there those shepherds are. They're cold. It's dark. It's night. They're on edge. Probably tired. And then... Out of the blue, the night sky lights up like the noonday sun, and some dude appears to them, and they freak out, which is appropriate, and you would too. That's what the text says. They were filled with great, huge, a lot. Fear. But he goes on. And the angel said to them, Don't fear. Why? Clearly. Because look, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And then here it comes. Here's the news. For un. To you is born this day in the city of David, right over there, a Savior. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. And so, guys, this will be a sign for you when you get there. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. And lying in an animal feeding trough. A manger. So the angel's message is, born right over there in that town, little Bethlehem, is a Savior. That's good news which would produce great joy. This baby is the one who now is born and he came to save God's people. He is the Old Testament anticipated Messiah from the Hebrew Mashiach, which means anointed one. The anointed one, the one referring to it's going to come from David. You take that Hebrew anointed one and translate the Hebrew into Greek and it comes out Christos, which you know that's where we get in English, Christ. That's who he is. Here's David's son, the anointed one. But notice he stunningly calls <clears throat> that anointed one that was born. The Lord. Christ the Lord. Okay. Luke is written in Greek. 
The Greek word there is kurios, Lord, which is the Greek word that translates the Hebrew Old Testament personal name of God the Creator. The four letters, the He, the Yod, the Vav, and the He. And if you put vowel sounds between them, it'll come out something like Yahweh. And the angel announces, the baby is born. Today, he is the son of David, is the point. He is the anointed one, Yahweh. Stunning. Christ the Lord. That's the message they get. And then notice what he says next in verse 13. And then, suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among or to those with whom He is pleased. Now, this is hard to imagine, really. I mean, these guys didn't imagine it, they experienced it, but it's hard for us to relate because that multitude means it wasn't 50 extra host or army of angelic beings or, or 500 or 2,000. It was too many to count. And then they lifted up their voices and they praised God with the message first towards heaven. Glory to God in the highest. And then toward earth. And on earth, peace to those with whom God is pleased. On earth, the point is peace from God. Any human being who has come in to true reality that they are a creature created by an eternal creator knows the problem. God's at peace with me. I know my sinful nature like no one knows it. And the announcement is God, who brought judgment because of sin, and why this whole world is filled with funerals and death and tragedies, and groaning, awaiting for a future day that the gospel proclaims, knows that for God to be at peace with me, that something's going to happen. And yet, they proclaim peace. Meaning, not between you guys, but between God and you. Between God and who, though? It says who. Those on whom God's favor rests. God's peace extends to people literally of His 
good pleasure is the word. Christmas is good news that will create great joy for undeserving sinners upon whom, in other words, God's favor rests. Upon all who come to a fear of God and receive the message of this incarnate birth in His life, in His laying down His life as a substitute where God's justice was poured out upon Him and then that He was sinless and He was God's chosen eternal Son who became a human being, He proved by resurrecting Him to immortal eternal life. He says, born that day is that Savior who is Christ the Lord. And so it truly is good news of great joy for those people. But for all others, it is as Simeon says while he's holding, not eight days later, Bob, six-week-old baby Jesus in his arms, and he proclaimed, Behold, This child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. Okay, back in Luke 2, let's read on. Verse 15. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, The shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered it, what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard from the angels, and then went to Bethlehem and had seen, just as it had been told. You know what is stunning about that is that the shepherds, they believed. You can see their faith. I mean, as James would say, go ahead and show me your faith without any action. I'll show you my faith by what I do. And what they did is they said, let's go. Let's go. And they ran. And they got tired and they walked fast. And they ran just like you or I might do with running a mile or two. It says, that's what it says, they went in haste. And they arrived there. They made it to the dwelling, the the house or the the inn, but there's no more rooms. It's very packed. Everyone's coming. So they search, they know, oh, yeah, look out there with, you know, we got shelter for the animals. And, And they finally find the new mother 
and her baby, a very normal-looking baby. And then their hearts fill <laughs> with faith that goes overflowing, and they can't help but tell the other people mulling around in that area about what the angel said, and it's right there. And obviously, they saw the baby, and they told Mary and Joseph what just transpired and why they came and Mary was awed by those words and she stores them up in her memory bank and she relates that story years later maybe face to face with Dr. Luke she's probably 70 years old when Luke gets to Jerusalem and is hanging out for three years in Judea preparing to write but either way, from him or through James or, or the children, she related that story. And that's why we have it. And there it is. Christmas. Christmas is about history. Not a fable. If what we had read this morning actually happened 2,027 years ago, it means God becoming a human being confronts every man, woman, and child with some objective facts that cannot be shrugged off as, oh, that's a, that's a nice little manger scene, Christmas. No, because what this means is that the creator of the universe, this fallen, sinful, God-belittling humanity, he broke in by becoming one of them. A human being born in Bethlehem in fulfillment of numerous prophecies, foretellings that we saw last week. That as he grew, he lived in perfect, sinless, true humanity. And that he died as the sin sacrifice, which was pictured throughout the Old Testament as the substitute that would bear the justice of God against all sinners who would ever believe in him. And that he was resurrected from the dead on the third day to true humanity in immortality forever. And he will return and raise from the dead all who are his. This is the greatest news in the world for those on whom. God's favor rests. How does a person know that they're one of those? That that refers to them? The answer is simple. You know it because you believe that. It's how you know. I'm his. His favor rests on me. 
I believe. I once was blind. I couldn't see. I mocked God like me until age 19. And I believe. Or did, let me just say it a different way. I mean, un unless the Christ who was born in Bethlehem is born in you by the Holy Spirit, then you remain in the sin nature that you inherited from Adam and are eternally lost. Unless that happens, this baby grew up. And he said to a leading teacher in Israel one day, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He didn't mean, well, unless you change your life or turn over a new leaf, like people in the secular world use the term born again. I got born. It's like born again. It's not what he meant. What he meant was that when you hear this story, the gospel, the good news, that, that, that will in those who believe create great joy. Unless you, when you hear it, and then not only hearing it, your heart recognizes it for the truth that it is. That it's really good to the taste buds of your desires. Is that you? If that's happened to you, you're a believer. You've been saved by the Savior who is Christ the Lord. You are one on whom God's favor, His grace, rests. And so, that's why we who are in Christ, as Paul would put it, all those who have loved His appearing, His coming through Mary and living and dying and rising and seated, that's why all of us who are in Him reflect on that night and sing, O holy night. The stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. O hear the angel voices. So let us stand. And let us sing this with joyful faith.